We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nikhami, entrepreneur, founder, and CEO of my very own beauty brand, Carmela Cosmetics, and business consultant. This is We Are Women, Beauty Redefined, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast features different women whose names you probably recognize. You've seen them, been following them, and might even think that they've always had it together. Listen in to hear the women you know and love share their journeys with self-acceptance and self-love, discovering their unique beauty and confidence in a society that for so long has focused on exemplifying a specific beauty standard. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of red and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night and we are women. Beauty Redefined. I am so excited for this week's episode featuring Dr. Sheila Nazarian. Dr. Nazarian, who really doesn't need an introduction, is a top board certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon in Beverly Hills. You may be one of her millions of social media followers. Maybe use her medical grade skincare and wellness products from her brand, The Skin Spot. Maybe you've seen her on TV in the Emmy-nominated Netflix series, Skin Decision, and she's appeared on E! News, The Newsweek, The Doctors, and more. During this episode, Dr. Nazarian shares her fascinating story from escaping Iran as a child and her journey from having imposter syndrome and passing out from the sight of blood to then becoming a successful surgeon and a vocal and courageous advocate. She talks about why her family had to plan an elaborate escape and leave their successful life behind in Iran, why failure wasn't an option for her, her view on unrealistic expectations that are being encouraged on social media, how she learned to value herself, the hardest lessons she's learned, why she sometimes says no to patients, her own social media boundaries, and so much more. I can't wait for you to listen to Dr. Nazarian's story learn a lot and be inspired. I was very different as a child. I feel like every Middle Eastern um, nice Jewish girl, you just wanted to get straight A's and have everyone tell you what a good girl you are and pat you on the head and, you know, just raking in all the compliments and external validation. So um, i definitely had imposter syndrome. I feel like every accomplishment I had, I would be like, oh my God, they're going to figure me out. Or they're going to send me back and say it was a big mistake. So I think it was definitely like a growth um, leap I've made from that young Dr. Nazar, young Sheila to uh, (laughs) the the person you see today. Um, I think it's been a journey of knowing your worth. Um, and I think it's been a journey of, of confidence and finding my voice and not being afraid to use it. Um, I think it's a journey of understanding what my core values are and whose opinions I care about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely wasn't this vocal, confident, sometimes courageous, strong Um, person I used to pass out at the sight of blood I used to pass out if I stubbed my toe like I was the weak child (laughs) like no one in my family like believes I became a surgeon and like cut people for a living um so so no I think I think it's been um a huge leap from where like I was 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. You would never guess, obviously, as you yeah. say. So could you share a little bit about that journey specifically? So growing up, your childhood and escaping, and, and I'm sure that had a lot has a lot to do with the way you are now. Yeah. So I was actually um, born in New York as an anchor baby before that was even a term. My mom was nine months pregnant, flew to New York. She <laughs> says she was like, she says she was 10 months pregnant when she had me because like no prenatal care, just like wanted a U.S. citizen as a child. Um, so <laughs> I was I was born and then we stayed there for like another month and then went back to Iran. That was 1979, the year of the revolution. And so um, we kind of got stuck uh, as you know, Jews there were, you know, discriminated against, but they also wouldn't let you leave. They're like, we hate you, but you can't go. Um, and also just women in general, my, my parents had two daughters and they were like, this is no place to raise women. Um, and then the Iran Iraq war was happening. So there was bombs flying everywhere and they told us it was fireworks and the sirens would go off at night. We run to the windows and watch the bombs fly in. So, I think for many reasons, they were like, we have to get out of here. Um, but we had to, they had to plan this huge elaborate escape route through the desert to Pakistan um, in order to, you know, get us out. It took half a year to really make it to the States because we had to live in Pakistan for three months waiting for visas, went to Vienna, was there for a month waiting for, for asylum applications, and then finally made it to the U.S. So Definitely very arduous. My family was very successful in Iran, left everything behind, came here, started from scratch, didn't speak English. Um, and I think that you're right. I think thinking of the real sacrifices that my parents made and the real oppression, what what the definition of real oppression is, um, as you look at what's happening to the women in Iran today, uh, you know, makes you very grateful to be in the U.S. and honestly makes you kind of look at people who think they're, you know, oppressed um, in their $120 Lululemon tights, um, you know, gives you a little bit of perspective and a lens through which you see the world that maybe a lot of people don't have and maybe don't fully appreciate all of the opportunities that are available to them in this wonderful country. Um, so yes, it does make me want to burn the candle at both ends. It does make me super grateful to be here um, and to be able to become successful based on my hard work and talent. Whereas in the country of my origin, that was not the case. Right. For sure. Yes. So how old were you when you escaped? I was six and a half um, and I was seven by the time I made it here. Wow. So um, you probably still remember. Yeah. I mean, that's trauma. Speaking of trauma and, you know, things. <laughs> right. So again, people are like, I'm, I have trauma. I'm triggered. And it's so funny because sometimes even my own kids, you know, I have a 15 year old, 14 year old, 11 year old. And if I always say the word triggered is like not in your vocabulary. You're not allowed to use that word. <laughs> I say spicy because they always say every food is spicy and they don't want to eat it. I say itchy because they always say every single clothes I put on them is itchy and then triggered. Those are the three words. <laughs> Can't use those words in my house. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I tell them these stories because I want them to have a little bit of perspective because, you know, us as immigrants, we, we know what true trauma is we know what oppression is we know and appreciate the opportunities that we have and you know our kids are kind of born in this like lap of luxury and you know don't haven't been through the same trauma or the same struggles that we have so I think it's really important to give them a little bit of perspective for sure for sure yeah so once you got here what did your life look like and and how did you 
build your own inner confidence to get to where you are today? Yeah. So we, we got here and we actually moved in to a, the two bedroom apartment with my mom's sister, my aunt. Um, so it was her, her husband and her daughter, and then the four of us. So it was like seven of us living in a two bedroom apartment. And we did that until my dad was able to take his board exams and really get a job practicing as a physician here. Um, and he, just to give you perspective too, like he was the chief medical officer of the Shah's heart hospital in Iran. So he was really at the pinnacle wow. running a hospital uh, to coming here, riding his bicycle to the local library to study for his boards all over again. Um, so we finally moved into another apartment, eventually got a house. But, you know, I, I remember like I did not feel wealthy. I mean, we were living in, you know, Beverly Hills, but as, as you know, many people know there's different parts of Beverly Hills. Like you can say you live in Beverly Hills, but it could be like a, you know, $600 a month studio, you know? <laughs> like, right. So, um, but just to give you an idea, like my first car was 20 years old. My, it was cold and we, it was too expensive to turn on the heater. So I, I had a floor heater that I would heat my clothes up on first before changing in the morning to go to school. Wow. Um, really starting from there and really knowing that I had to succeed if I wanted to make something of myself, I didn't have, failure was not a choice. Like I had to make it. Um, and having that hunger and that grit to really um, push myself and, you know, study the things that maybe I didn't want to study and weren't really that fun, but I knew I needed to, to know in order to be a successful person. So <laughs> I always say, I hate these boss babe accounts that are like, live your best life. You're 21. <laughs> like nine to five is the price you pay to make some, to like, I don't know, kill your dreams. <laughs> right. Oh, sorry, like for 99.9% .9 of people, it's not the way it works. You know, you have to spend your 20s kind of investing in the knowledge and putting in the work to gain the skills you need to kill it in your 30s, you know? Um, and that doesn't mean you're not working. It doesn't mean you're not earning, but it just means that, hey, you might not know everything there is to know yet. Like I'm 43. I'm still learning every single, every year is different than the year before, especially in the, you know, COVID and then the Netflix show. And like now everyone's quite quitting and all these like weird <laughs> stuff that, you know, are like happening that we're all as business people kind of experiencing all together. Like every year is so different than the year before that you're constantly like, trying to find your bearings and trying to use the P, P word, the pivot word. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Actually, you just reminded me of a post that it was you, you posted something that really resonated with me and some of my friends were sharing it as well. And it was a post about how, well, basically what you just said that people have this unrealistic expectation these days of you should have it all made in your twenties. And if you don't, yeah. you're a failure. And it's like the whole social media trend, right? Like you're making millions. I was an overnight success. Let me teach you how to be, you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. And I think it's, um, a can make people really depressed. They're like, Oh my God, I'm 31. And I, and I, I haven't made a bazillion dollars. Like, and I don't have 2 million followers. Like I'm a failure. Right. Right. <laughs> it's unrealistic. And, um, I think it's also like beautiful in a sense that, you know, you put in those, the work in your twenties. Like I remember when I was, in my twenties, my friends that wanted to like, for example, go into like the movie industry, they were interning for no, nothing. They were just happy. They got the internship. They weren't even getting paid. They were like working a side job, like walking dogs so that they could work for free for this amazing, like music producer or movie producer, whatever. So I think that that sort of has been taken away and it becomes almost like you're a failure. If you're putting in the work, 
you should be, you know, somehow miraculously making a gazillion dollars and, you know, you're 22. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And it was so nice to see. And it's interesting because I have friends who are in their late thirties who are probably even just a little younger than you and Mm -hmm. who are not necessarily where they want to be at. And that also inspired them because they were like, it's fine. Like things just sometimes take time, you know? Yeah. So that was, it was really nice. Um, it's funny because everyone was sharing it. I, I don't know if you saw it because I guess yeah. if they don't tag you, you wouldn't see it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and okay, so so going back to like the confidence aspect, there are a lot of women out there who just don't feel confident about where they are now, you know? And the fact that you came from a position of, of, of not really being confident and had to work towards that, that is such an inspiration. What tips or advice would you would you give to women who, or girls, even young girls, right? who are trying to work on their confidence? You know, there's, I always think that like women, we have a tough time valuating ourselves. <laughs> like I, I was saying, one of the things that really helped me kind of later on was uh, when I was in practice and, you know, the men, male plastic surgeons down the hall were calling themselves like world renowned or world expert in. And I could see their results. And I was like, or um, I, I just heard the way they would treat their patients. And me, here I am, like, giving out my cell phone number and being always accessible to my patients, getting great results. And I just sort of said, well, if you're world-renowned, like, what does that make me, you know? So <laughs> I think it was just, like, a slow understanding of the smoke and mirrors that's happening around me. Um, really just, you know, critically evaluating outcomes. Um and then slowly starting to value myself. Like, for example, this is going to sound crazy, but in the medical conferences, not only do you pay a membership to be part of that medical society, you pay a membership, a yearly membership. They'll ask you to give four talks at the conference and then make you buy your own ticket to the conference too. That's crazy. <laughs> it's like insane. Like what industry invites the speaker and then makes them buy a ticket to the, <laughs> to the conference they're speaking at? So it was just like little by little, just being like, well, that's not right. You know, why, why was I like, but they think like, oh, we gave you an ego stroke to put you on the podium to educate your, your peers. You should be happy that we gave you that honor, you know? And I was like, you know, that worked for a while, you know, it was kind of like, okay, for a while, but then you kind of realize and you're like, "Hmm." so it's just like little baby steps and like, little uh, growth moments like that, that you're just like, that's not right. Or like, wait, I'm getting invited to all these other conferences. They're paying me and they're not charging me a ticket. Like, how is this normal? So just questioning and like noticing and just, I think it was like a little by little thing. Another example, you know, being on a panel with someone that is bragging about being booked out for surgery for two years. Like, maybe you should raise your prices. Like it's a supply and demand thing, right? Like if you, if I mean, if you had like your Carmella cosmetics ordered out for five years and you, you can't even keep up with the demand, you, maybe you should raise your prices. Like it's something that's just right. so innate <laughs> yeah. to the business world and to the retail world, you know, like look at Hermes, like they only will produce so much so that they can sell it for a much higher price because you, there's a demand for it. Yes. Right. And an urgent, to get it before everybody else does before it sells out like it's something that's so well known but for doctors for example again it goes back to ego I'm booked out two years so I realized having gone to business school as well 
if I get booked out two months, I'm, I'm raising my prices. And it was scary at first, but you know, I just kept doing that. And I just realized nobody wants to wait two years to get the breast done. No, <laughs> I never want to be booked out more than two months. I want to strike while the iron's hot. So just, you know, little, little, like testing things out and seeing if it worked. And now, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I could do five facelifts and never see my children. Or I could do one at a higher price and have all the time with my children. Which one am I going to choose? So right. it's little like little just learning moments like that and learning to value yourself and your results and how much you put into your patients and what their experience is like versus a mill. And just saying, you know what? I want to be Hermes. I don't want to be like Walmart. <laughs> and that's my brand. I'm making a very conscious decision, but that opens my time up to a really connect with my patients and not lose the fun of medicine and get to know people, which is really what, where the fun is. Cause trust me, after your thousandth tummy tuck, the thrill is gone, right? It's really <laughs> in the relationships that you find joy. So leaving time for that. And then also looking at myself outside of being a physician, like there's so many other things I'm interested in. If I don't water that garden, I'm going to get burned out as a physician. I'll, I'll no longer be a good doctor. So really it's about, you know, indulging and in all of the things that make you feel human and whole and fulfilled so that you are effective in however you decide to give to the community. Love it. And I also really love that you are someone who goes out of your comfort zone because that's, that's the common thing that I'm hearing over and over again from you. You know, you raised your prices. It felt uncomfortable. You did it anyway. You did this, you know, and other things that, that you mentioned. And I, I really think that that's a huge thing that we often struggle with. Like when we feel that anxious feeling, because, because we're so into being comfortable these days. And yeah, but I just feel like, again, like going back to these boss babe accounts, like so many people are deciding like not to have children right? Yeah. It's an easier life hundred percent, but is it as fulfilling? Like, I'm not so sure. You know, I just feel like you're right. I feel like a lot of people are just putting aside difficult things because it'll make their life easier. And I just want to make sure that people understand that it's the difficult things that give meaning to life. In my opinion. You're, you're right. I mean, that's what we believe our culture, you know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, it speaks for itself. The fact that people, you see the happiest people are those who have overcome something. 100%. And just work against, against their, their comfort zone and what's easy because that is just, and then they, what's the purpose of life if everything's so easy? Right. There's no meaning. Yeah, exactly. It's so interesting that you brought up that they're not having children because I didn't even realize that, but you're right. That is another aspect of this whole boss babe mentality. Yeah. And then it's, it's funny. I just spoke at um, a women's uh, physician group meeting and, you know, there were so many of the physicians were infertility doctors and they were like, they had their little like gift cards and the, the swag bag. And I just was on the podium and I was like, you guys, I don't care how tired you are. I don't care how hard you're working in your twenties. You put on your lipstick, you go out, you go to the events, you go to the club, you go to whatever it is young people are doing these days to meet. You don't want to get to the point where you're seeking infertility treatments or you're having to freeze your eggs. Like, you want to take care of that now because as, as many of the amazing things and strides women have made in the last 40 years 
our biological clock is not one of them. Okay. Like you need to be on it. And if you see yourself, if you're, you know, ultimate goal in life includes a family, you need to be putting as much energy into that as you are into your career and into your business. Right. Right. It's like that balance between have like career and, and family, that fulfillment from your family, because I think you were the one who was talking about on Instagram, right. About that. You could have a very fulfilling career, but if you don't have your family unit, you know, then that's just, if you don't have purpose, you fail. Like if you're not fulfilled, you failed. I don't care how successful, like I see it all the time in the hospitals too. These like amazing plastic surgeons, these amazing surgeons that are like bitter and angry and alone. Because you know what, as much as you love your job, it doesn't hug you when you come home and you need to realize as much as your like job, 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 career, 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 eventually it does become just a job. Like I said, after the thousandth breast augmentation, the creativity is gone. Like I got it. I think I I got this now. (laughs) So you have to look for other things that are going to fulfill you and they're going to fulfill that creative need that you have because I could you could have the most creative job in the world at some point you need you need to get inspiration from other things right for sure yeah so I I'm curious to hear because I'm sure you have an opinion on this because you're a woman and you believe in being confident and feeling beautiful right so how do you balance that the idea of confidence and loving ourselves the way we are with getting plastic surgery Yeah. So I don't even think of plastic surgery as vain. I think of it as a continuum of self-care. And I think that initially it was kind of a very taboo thing because it was only the celebrities that were able to afford it, or they were the only ones getting it. And so it became this like gossipy thing, like who got what? right? But now I think it's like, whether it's a minimally invasive, whether it's a laser, a peel, you know, injectables, it's so, or even just like really good skincare, right? It's so accessible at this point that I think it's now become part of um, whatever living your best life is or a continuum of self-care. I'll give you an example, labiaplasty, probably still the most taboo you know, vaginal rejuvenation, probably still the most taboo thing. I don't see it any differently than a breast augmentation. Everybody's like, you're normal down there. Why do you care? Well, so are small breasts. Small breasts are normal too. Like, but we don't have any problem, you know, with people having their breasts done or getting their nose done. Your nose was normal too, but that's okay at 16. So like, this is literally the same thing, but it's still so taboo. But, you know, you have women come in that have to try on 20 bathing suits before they find one that doesn't make them look like they have a penis down there because it's so much bulk, so much skin. You know, why instead of like worrying about that for the rest of your life, like think about it like laser hair removal is just one less thing you have to think about. So I always tell women, if you're in good health and the procedure you're seeking is safe, if there's something that you're looking in the mirror and you're thinking about, oh, this bothers me more than three times a week, just take care of it. Like you have more important things to be thinking about. Then, (laughs) you know, the wrinkly skin on your stomach after you've had a few kids or like the extra bulk in your vaginal area or looking like a pear because you have no breasts, but you have hips and a butt, you know, like if you're thinking about it, just take care of it, but don't wait till you're like 80 to enjoy it. You know, if it's something that, you know, could be enjoyed for many, many years to come, go for it. You know, you don't need to justify it in your head. You know, we buy like, how many pairs of black pants do I have? Like literally I have a whole rack of just black pants, but I'm like, oh my God, but this one has gold buttons and this one has a zipper here. Right. And like, 
you know what I mean? Like, so you, you could just spend that time and the mental, you know, mastication of justifying something to yourself, but you could just also just take care of it and be done with it, move on and have energy and mental space for more important things. Yeah, for sure. I love that you give that three times a week, like measurement. It's, it's brilliant. Cause if you're really thinking about that every day or every other day, whatever it is, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe you should take care of it. You're right. Yeah. If you yeah. can afford it. <laughs> And do it while you're healthy so you can enjoy it, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's like those people who wait till they're, you know, I don't know, like like in their 80s, as you said, you know, if you're really going to do it, I'm not, yeah, for sure. It's funny because we always talk about, you know, self-love and loving yourself. But I also am someone who really does believe that if something is bothering you, as you said, like, go for it. Like, make yourself feel like your best, you know? We're not talking yeah. about changing your face and changing things to make yourself look like a different person. That's like an, another level. I don't even get that in my practice, to be honest, Nahami. Like, I literally have never had one patient bring a picture of someone else and ask me to look like them. <laughs> literally, I always say, like, what you put out there is what you attract. And I only put out, like, professionalism, intelligence, grace, um, confidence. And so those are the patients that I attract. They're professional women and men who eat well, exercise, and they're just like, this, this thing will go away. Or like, I can't exercise my boobs back up. Like, you know what I mean? So it's just like that one little thing that they need help with. And they're not coming because they're like crying every day about it. They're coming because they're like, oh, I can't do this on my own. Please help. So again, like I'm not getting these like crazy psychotic like I'm known as the small breast queen right on my social media for small breasts I only do small breast implants like my patients literally fly halfway across the world because they know I'm not going to make them like this fake looking thing um but they trust that I'm going to make them not look like an alien and so right. <laughs> yeah and I feel like you, it doesn't have to be that way and that's the crappy part about plastic surgery to be honest you only notice the fake work like if yes. somebody is really good work walking down the street or like my face I have 15 syringes of filler in my face. Really? No. Yes. And I literally haven't moved my forehead in 15 years. So you wouldn't know because it's done naturally. You're just like, oh, she looks healthy. Or like, oh, I can't believe she's, she's 43. Yeah. Right. But you, but the problem is with plastic surgery, you would never think that this was done. But if you see somebody looking crazy walking down the street, you're like, oh, plastic surgery is terrible. Look at, look at what she looks like. <laughs> it's so true, by the way. You're totally right. That's why they get a bad rap for that. Yeah. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword as a plastic surgeon, but my patients know natural by Nazarian, hashtag natural by Nazarian, like you're not going to look like an alien walking out. And honestly, again, that's another thing you can look for. Like if your provider looks like an alien, that's their aesthetic and you're about to look like one too. So you, if you, <laughs> if you appreciate natural results, go to someone who looks normal and guess what? You'll look normal too. Right. <laughs> that's so smart. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever said no to any patients? Always. Oh my God. Always and forever. I mean, again, in the beginning, I had to say no a lot more because my brand wasn't really out there. But now that I just keep putting out natural results, keep putting out small breasts, keep putting out um, just normal looking results, um, looks like it was God given. Now I attract people who appreciate that. But a lot of times, like if I do like a small butt augmentation, like, you know, the fat transfer to the butt, some people will comment like, why would anyone pay for that? That doesn't even look like that big of a difference. I'm like, good, stay away from me. 
<laughs> but like the other people will comment like, oh my God, looks so natural or like, oh, such a nice little lift, you know, or like, oh, look so athletic. Like those are the people that I want. So again, I, I purposely put out stuff. So I weed out the crazies and I only get people in my practice who are normal, who actually, that's my social hour. Like I, I don't get out much because I, you know, I'm with my kids or my husband, but when I'm in the office, that's my social hour. So I want to be amongst patients that I like and that appreciate I don't know the things that I like to appreciate for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Has, has anyone, has any of your patients ever asked you for something that you felt like wasn't a good idea or wouldn't look good on them? I mean, I've had people literally ask me to take off their belly button and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I had another patient that like really didn't like his um, earlobes and he asked me to remove his earlobes. I'm like, no. <laughs> um, but I would say it's very rare. I would say the majority of my patients really are seeking me out because I have 30 devices. I do the gamut of injectables. I have the best skincare and I do surgery. So they know that let's say they come in for surgery and I'm like, no, no, no. All you need is this laser. Or they might come in for like, you know, some sort of like minimally invasive fat reduction. And I'm like, no, you need a tummy tuck. Like I'm going to tell them what they need based off of, you know, diagnosis and treatment. It's not unlike any other kind of medicine. And I always tell people sometimes when they come in asking me for the wrong thing, I'm like, you're literally like a diabetic coming in and I'm giving you blood pressure medication to treat your diabetes. Like that's not how it works. So it's like exact same. You just make a diagnosis and then you need to apply the correct treatment or treatments. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense for sure. By the way, I think it's so cool how you look really young and you're right because I was, I never would have known like what you do. I would have been like, okay, she is. That's super- the whole point. And honestly, like I had, I had a mother daughter fly in from London and I did the mom's full face and I did some stuff to the daughter too. Two weeks later, literally. Um, and I did her mom's like facelift, like eyelids, facelift, upper lip, lift, wow. like everything lasers. And two weeks later, they met the rest of their family, like in Newport beach, like an hour away. And they just said they had five facials and the family believed them. Like, that's what you want. You don't want anyone to say, what surgery did you have? You want people to be like, you look so healthy. Like, and you're like, yeah, I drink green juice. Like that. <laughs> right. I remember we had a, I still, I'm still like, oh my gosh, this image st- stays, sticks in my head. When I was a kid, a family member got a, fa- a, a facelift, a neck lift. I was like, horrified I remember looking at her and I was like what the heck happened to you it was it was just yeah not something that you want when you get surgery but do what would you say to encourage young girls about feeling beautiful and comfortable in their own skin yeah I mean I think a lot of things negatively affect the way young girls. And I mean, I have a 15 year old daughter and 11 year old daughter and a 14 year old son, but I've, I've been through it too. You know, I think that eating disorders are an all time high. Um, and I was reading an article that 13 to 15 year old girls during COVID because they were home got hit the hardest and that eating disorders like doubled was crazy. So, um, I think they get hit really hard, especially with the images they're seeing on social media. Nothing's real and they think that it is. Um, Everything's face-tuned. And it was actually really funny because we went to Israel over the summer and everybody there is like total out there, like cellulite, you know, like size, whatever. And they don't care at all. And literally my daughter was like, mom, this is really good for my mental health, you know? So I also (laughs) think like, I also think like being in Los Angeles doesn't help that either. 
but I mean, I think at the same time, and at the same time, like they're not stupid. Like if you're like, oh, you know, I know that you're obese, but learn to love yourself. Like it just doesn't work, you know? So I think you have to find, help your kids find real solutions, um, in a, in a, in like a non-degrading kind of way. I, as a mom, I've learned never tell your daughters anything about their body, like ever. And, and as a Persian mom, like, you know how we are, I like, you know, like Jewish mom, like that's really hard to do because like we would not get raised that way. Like you would put something on and your mom would be like, your thighs look fat. You, know? <laughs> like, you literally like can't do that with daughters anymore at all. I think you um, have to provide healthy meals. I think you have to provide healthy snacks. Um, I think that if you see your kid like eating 50 protein bars, you don't leave it out. You know, I just think like you, you have to do it in more, um, uh, like a less critical kind of yeah. ways to them and the choices that they're making, but just put, sort of put out good choices. Um, so yeah, I think it's very difficult. And I think parenting now is like a hundred times more difficult than when my parents did it. Like my parents didn't even know like what grade I was in. They were like, are you getting straight A's? Good. Keep doing that. You know, <laughs> have you seen my toothbrush? Like, where's my toothbrush? <laughs> so I think it's like, and we would, I would ride my bike to school for 30 minutes every day, freezing my butt off. Like now you don't even let them like walk out. You're like, there's so many predators. You know? <laughs> so I think, I think it's just very, very difficult and a totally different ballpark um, parenting now than when we got, you know, parented. But you know, for, for my kids, it's good skincare products. It's, you know, it's good healthy foods it's going on walks with them, you know, every Saturday morning, um, it's putting them on sp in sports and making sure they have a healthy lifestyle, um, stretching with them when we're watching a show together, like, oh, let's just put our leg up and stretch, you know, like, so I think it's just about encouraging the lifestyle now and you can't literally be directly critical of them anymore. Right. Right. The lifestyle idea. That's, that's really smart. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious to hear, like, what were the hardest lessons that you learned both professionally and, and personally? I think asking for help and delegating was very, very hard. I was so used to doing everything myself. And if anyone tried to help me, I thought it was because they thought I couldn't do it. And so I think that was a big learning moment because you can't accomplish everything that you want to accomplish without help. So I think that that was a big lesson for me. I think learning what my true value was, was a big lesson to me. Like, I'll give you another example. Um, this company came to me and they're like, yeah, we want you on our uh, medical advisory board. It's just an hour every quarter and we pay you this much. That's not a big commitment. And then they're like, yeah, give us your headshot for our website. <laughs> so you realize like, it's not the hour per quarter that is their gain. It's having your picture on their website. So they say, you know, Dr. Nazarian believes in us. You should too. You should, you should buy from it. So it's just kind of like those little things where you let your ego go and you're like seeing things at face value and realizing kind of what is the benefit to that person and what is the benefit to me really? And is, is it worth my time knowing that what they're getting and what I'm getting? So I think those little moments and really verbalizing it to the other people and being like, come on, like, let's call a spade a spade. Like you're not actually wanting my opinion or maybe you are a little bit, but you know, wanting my opinion on this advisory board or you just want my picture on your website. Right, right. Like let's call a spade a spade. That's really the value. And they're like, oh, because like nobody, 
actually like verbalizes that to them. And maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I'm going to learn and I'll be very like less blunt and more less direct um, in the future if, if it doesn't work out. But um, I think, yeah, letting go of the ego strokes and really saying, no, like you're really valuing, um, you're like you're gaining more out of this than I am. And so the answer is no. Um, I think that learning kind of what your value is and verbalizing it has been difficult, but it's necessary. Yeah. So I think those are two things. I, yeah, th those are, those are fantastic. How do you deal with it when people don't necessarily accept those boundaries that you put out there? They do. They always do. They, they do? know. Yeah, they know they're not, you know, they're, they're just playing into this, like, ego stroking that I think has been prevalent in medicine and medical business for a really long time. They know, they know what they're getting out of it. They're not dumb. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I guess I was thinking more on the, cause you said it's, it's difficult to put it out there sometimes, you know? So I was thinking more of on a personal level, cause I'm sure we, we kind of tend to have the same patterns, you know, per, personally and professionally. So mm -hmm. I was just wondering, cause I think a lot of women have struggle with this. I know I have definitely like, you know, putting that's up interesting. Yeah. In personal life too. I think that that's, that's very interesting that you say that. Cause I think it is pervasive in all relationships. Like you need to also need to like verbalize to like, I'll say my husband too. So Nez will be like, one time I asked him to get something on the way home and he goes, Oh, I, I can't do everything. And I was like, you do nothing. <laughs> I'm like, you go to work and you come home. That's what you do. Let me tell you about my day. Like I did the applications for the kids' private schools. I signed them up for camp. I made sure that their health forms were filled out by their pediatrician. Like, you know, I uh, organized this. I made sure that the car's light was fixed. Like, and he's like, oh, <laughs> And I'm like, and I ran my businesses today, you know? And then so I think you do have to verbalize a lot of times, even to your own partner who's like living in the same house as you, what exactly it is that you got done that day? Because if you don't verbalize it, and I think this is a thing with women too. I feel like when you're in elementary school, you can shut up. You don't have to raise your hand in class at all. You just spew everything you know on a piece of paper, you get an A plus and you move on. But once you're in college and on, you really have to advocate for yourself. You have to stand up and say, look at the award I got. Look at this I got because nobody's going to pay attention to you unless you like messed up. <laughs> right? So you really have to, and that's what social media is. Like, it's not bragging. It's, it's recognizing yourself so that other people will recognize it too. Otherwise no one's paying any attention to you unless you're like Bernie Madoff, like on the cover of the New York times going to jail. Like no one's going to like post about you otherwise. So <laughs> You have to start kind of speaking up and saying what it is that you accomplished. And I think for women too, it's very easy to say, how will, how will people know they can come to you for help if they don't know what it is that you're good at? So think of it that way, but you have to tell people what you're good at and what you've been awarded and what yeah. you've been recognized for. Otherwise, how will they know they can come to you for help? So think of it that way. For sure. Yeah. Like, how are you giving to others? And you, then you have to put it out there or else you can't give. Yeah. Great. Speaking of service, for sure. Love it. Love it. Speaking of social media, I, I would love to hear about, cause you, cause you are, you're, you're big on social. So especially as an advocate and, you know, not only, so I guess it's personal, professional and your advocacy, right? So there's a lot going on there. Yeah. What are your personal social media boundaries and your views yeah. really on how it's helping and hurting us? So I think that it's all in your hands. I think that you know, I did this social media cleanse, I think like five years ago, where I literally went through and I said, if this account is not 
giving to me in some way or providing value in some way, then I'm unfollowing. So all of those like boss babe accounts, I unfollowed. Um, a lot of the like influencers that were sort of like very superficial, I unfollowed. Um, and I really curated my account to be very informative and truly motivating and inspiring. And so for me, it's been great. And a lot of people, you know, my colleagues, for example, that are posting their surgical before and afters and all that stuff. I just started following their accounts through my surgical account, not my personal. So really I like to use social media too. I enjoy social media too. So I wanted my feed to be something that really gives to me what I, what I learn from and what I grow from, not just I'm following you back because you follow me and you're a surgeon. I do surgery all day. Like I don't want to go on my social media and be seeing before and afters of my colleagues. So I follow them from a different account that I'm not scrolling through all the time. Um, so I think you it's, it's in your hands, I guess, is the answer is you need to curate your account in such a way that you feel truly inspired and that you feel informed and that you're learning. So if, that's not what you're getting out of social media. Maybe you need to check who you're following. Yeah, hundred percent for sure. Do you ever, by the way, get nervous to post your advocacy stuff? Because I know it's a like the ad- I used. To. <laughs> no, I used to. I used to get really nervous. Like in Iran, we would never say we were Jewish. We would practice in silence. Like. And so, you know, even the first time, I think it was like the beginning of 2021, I I posted hashtag Shabbat Shalom and I was literally having a mini heart attack. Like I was like, (laughs) because, you know, the trauma is real. Like I'm first generation. I had to like escape. I was shot at driving through the desert by border police trying to escape a country. Like, you know what I mean? Like that trauma is real. So, um, but little by little, I just, like you said in the beginning, you know, just making myself a little bit more uncomfortable, a little bit more uncomfortable and like finding, you know, pushing myself, being uncomfortable at first, getting comfortable there and then pushing myself a little bit more. And I think the real motivation was again, like what kind of world am I leaving behind? If I'm silent and I'm scared now about what's happening, how are my kids going to feel? So I need to speak up so that it stops here. We need to start pushing back. So it stops here so that what happened in Iran, it doesn't happen here. Um, and so that was really my motivation. And yes, I had anxiety for the first time in my life. I was waking up anxious. Um, I was getting threats. Um, I had like a pig hoof, a rotted pig hoof sent to my office. Um, so, you know, it was like, you know, real stuff was happening, but I just said, you know, I I know what I'm doing is important. And I know because I feel like I have purpose beyond like what happens in my office or what happens in my home. I know that I'm leaving behind a place that is more safe for Jews or for my children. And I'm inspiring others to speak up to. And so that brought me a sense of fulfillment that I think my job never could. And it helped me sleep well at night in in knowing who who I really am and what I stand for. Wow. That's special. Seriously. And it's you know, the we all... biggest blessing. And I literally thought I was going to go bankrupt and I was going to have no <laughs> patients. And what happened was the exact opposite. Like my patients were literally like standing naked after a surgery in, in the, in the, you know, the exam room and I'd walk in and they'd be crying and they'd be like, I loved you before. I'm obsessed with you now. And like, <laughs> so I think it was a big lesson. Like you can't have people obsessed with you unless you're pissing some people off. Right. Okay. But you can't expect to be walking this like politically correct 
line of fakeness and expect people to be obsessed with you. It's just not how it works. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we all appreciate it. Yeah. All of the, yeah. It's like, <laughs> everyone looks to you and they're like, she's, she's helping us. She's, you know, helping Israel. So it's, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, by the way, I found it so interesting and I love meeting women like, like you who are such strong women, but also so feminine and nurturing yes. and like, you know what I'm saying? You have a very interesting balance of the softness and strong and strength. No. And I think that was very weird for um, surgery in general. Like when I came out my um, Instagram hashtag or whatever, and now it's its own Instagram was the model surgeon. And it's because I loved clothing and I loved fashion and I loved being feminine. And I had zero mentors that were feminine surgeons, zero. And I feel like they had to be masculine to survive, right? Because it was a very masculine space and you wanted respect and you wanted whatever. But I got so much crap from my colleagues, people being like, oh, does she even operate anymore? Like, oh, she's just taking like pictures and gowns all day. And I was like, no, I actually bust out like 40 gowns on a Monday. And that's my content for the next three months. I actually am operating, you know, but I just got so much crap. But having gone to business school and understanding what Instagram was, like people want a beautiful photo with inspiration. Yeah. Right. And that's what worked and that's what got engagement. And so I'm not dumb. Like I'm not going to put out ugly pictures and hope people like it. You know, that's not what Instagram is. It's a very visual platform, which is why it works great plastic surgeons, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I just got so much backlash from my colleagues at first. And then, you know, five years later, they're like, so like, how did you do that? (laughs) Love it. That's amazing. Yeah. But it's also, it's not only the dresses and the fashion, it's also just your personality. You know, you have that very approachable softness that's comfortable to be around, you know? Yeah. I mean, you don't need to be, you know, a jerk. (laughs) respect like you can be you can demand respect but also be kind yeah yeah totally people yeah you're seriously a role model for women in business thanks yeah seriously (laughs) (laughs) no really it's it's I I I wasn't sure what to expect you never know you know what I mean yeah yeah so let me ask you this question that I'd like to ask my guests which is if you had one message to give over to the next generation of women what would that message be I think that it is that you cannot get canceled for coming from a place of love and speaking to your core values. And you cannot get canceled unless you give into it. So people try to whatever cancel me. I just kept going and I've gotten the most amazing opportunities and I've surrounded myself with outside the box thinkers who really push me to do better and push me to think more deeply. So again, I would say, and a lot of people use the word your truth. There's no such thing as your truth. There's the truth and then how you feel about it. So I I feel at my core that I'm speaking the truth. People have different feelings about it, (laughs) but speak the truth and speak from a place of love and respect and from your core values and God will bless you 50 times over. Love it. Yes. So true. So true. Okay. Where can people find you if they want to follow along your journey, learn more about you? So I actually have my own podcast called The Closet, which I filmed from my closet, which I'm sitting in now. So definitely (laughs) uh, follow The Closet. Um, And 
on Instagram, if you go to my main, my main personal one, it's Dr. Sheila Nazarian, that one in the, the link in the bio has all my links to everything else. So I would say those two places. Awesome. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Nazarian. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So much fun. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K. And on our website, CarmelaCosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 